You're listening to the King's Oahu podcast. We hope today you're inspired, your faith is built up, and that you're encouraged by today's word. Hey, will you remain standing as we get into the word this morning? How many of you excited on this Resurrection Sunday? And what a great production and song. You know, that was written by Jet and, uh, and also the song, Ryan, thank you so much. That team was just incredible. That's all in-house. It's wonderful, man. So awesome. Turn with you in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. As we continue our series, True or False, we've been talking about the fact and fiction concerning the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ. And what's so unique about this passage is here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul the Apostle is making a case for the resurrection of Christ and how imperative our belief, our knowing and being convinced that Christ is the risen Savior is. And it's so imperative for our faith. And I want us to see this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in this brief moment that I have to share your word, I pray, God, that you open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive. Lord, I thank you that you are doing a work in this place, that you be glorified in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. The title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, is the greatest proof. Can you say that with me? The what? The greatest proof. And what we see is the evidence of Christ's resurrection, just as Paul, the apostle, told the church in Corinth that everything hinges on the resurrection. That means death would have won. It wasn't enough for Jesus to go to the cross. He had to conquer death. I'm going to say that again. He had to conquer death. What we understand is that death was the punishment for sin, Eternal damnation, the wages of sin is death. That was our punishment. And so what Christ did on the cross is he took our place, he took our punishment upon himself, but what he did in the grave is he actually changed the narrative of death. This is profound. He changed the narrative of death because now we understand that death was the punishment, but when Christ was raised, death now became the reward. I want you to think about that. He completely changed the narrative of death. Paul the apostle says to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. We understand that Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Sin produced in our life a punishment of death. It wasn't just what we receive and what happens when we sin. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and when we sin, it causes death to come. But friend, it was eternal damnation that was given to us. But in Christ, we now have eternal life. 
Friends, come on, through Christ, we now have eternal life. We don't have to be afraid of death anymore because no longer is death the punishment, death is the reward. I don't know about you, but that makes me excited. That's pretty incredible. Oh, you guys are, are you guys sleeping this morning? Come on, help me out. Death is the reward. I have eternal, eternal, eternal reward with Christ. My goodness, eternity in heaven. That is so wonderful. Friends, that's what our faith is built upon, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we see is the evidence of the empty grave. You know, there have been millions, I would almost say billions of dollars in the last 2,000 years since the death and the resurrection of Christ. Millions of dollars have been spent to prove that Jesus is still dead. Excavation of land. People really convinced, oh, we're just going to prove that all we have to do is find the body. All we have to do is find markings. Now, they already know that a man named Jesus lived 2,000 years ago that claimed to be the Messiah that died on a cruel, rugged cross. But there have been lots of people that have tried to prove that he's still dead, but they haven't. In 2,000 years, millions, almost billions of dollars spent, they still cannot find the body of Jesus. Why is that? Because I believe he's alive. I truly believe he's alive. But friends, there's more. There's more than that. It's the empty grave is wonderful. And as we see in Matthew chapter 27, turn with me there to Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. Now, can we stop there for a moment? They were basing everything upon that narrative, that the disciples would come and steal the body and say and declare that Jesus was raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. So he said, take a guard, Pilate answered, go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guards. Now, this is what's imperative. First of all, we have to understand that the Pharisees and the Romans understood the plot. The Pharisees actually knew the plot, and if, if, if Jesus could pretend or the disciples could make it seem like Jesus rose from the dead, then everything that they did to crucify Christ would be in vain. So they put up guards, they, they sealed the tomb. That's a big deal. Now when you seal a tomb, it wasn't, it wasn't just that they put a mark of the, of, the, of the governor or whatever it might be on the tomb. They, would, they sealed that thing tight so nothing could get in or out. And the reason they put a seal on it is it would show if something would go in or out, if that seal would break. And then they put guards there. Now, as we look at this, this is what's so profound to me. The Romans saw it necessary to put guards there. Why? Because if Jesus was to rise from the dead, it would cause incredible political unrest. If Jesus was to rise from the dead, their reputation and the possibilities. Let me help you understand something. In those days, if a Roman centurion, in that moment, if Jesus or the disciples would have come and steal Jesus' body, those Roman centurions would have been put to death. So I want you to understand, they took that moment serious. 
This wasn't just, oh, well, we're gonna, we're gonna run away and run for our lives. No, because they understood that if they ran and those disciples attacked, they ran, they would be put to death. That's how serious it was. So we know that the Romans were definitely not gonna give up the body of Jesus, but we also understand the Pharisees would not give up the body of Jesus. They would do everything possible to make sure that Jesus remained dead and in that tomb because they would lose control over the people. So they would do everything possible. But we have, we have a problem with this narrative because we see the work of the Romans, we see the work of the Pharisees to do everything possible to keep Jesus in that grave, but this is the problem of the story. The disciples... Number one, had abandoned Jesus. Number two, were in hiding. And number three, they were leaderless. Now, last time I checked, you kind of need a leader to lead a coup. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, all right, guys, I got this idea. We're going to go raid the tomb of Jesus. How can that be possible? Because the obvious leader probably would have been Peter, but Peter already denied Christ. And they were all in hiding. They all ran scared. There was no coup. There was nobody. That, and, and we see they weren't warriors. There was no use because for them, they didn't even truly understand what was going on. Peter went back fishing. They were all hiding. They were all scared. They had left their posts. And you're telling me those men were going to raid a tomb full of Roman centurions, marked, sealed, they're going to go raid that tomb to try and resurrect a dead Savior. See, there's a lot of problems with the narrative of Christ's resurrection. But what we see that's so profound is the changed life. We see people that had encountered Jesus. Now, we see problems with the story, and I want you to look at this because as Paul as Paul writes again now, turn back to 1 Corinthians 15, and I want you to see proof of this. This is amazing, because this really is the proof of a resurrected Lord. It's this, this understanding of encountering Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also for, to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. What? Now you look at this and you find certain players in this story. And this is the problem that I have is that some of the players in this story just don't make sense. Like, can we just deal with this? Why in the world would the very first person that encountered the, resurrect, the resurrected Lord be a woman? Because women were on the lower part of the totem pole there in society. If you, wanted, if you wanted somebody that would be accountable to give a great account or right account of Jesus' resurrection, it would not be a woman. The first preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ was a woman. 
Now, I know a lot of you men might have a problem with women preaching, but that was the first preacher in the New Testament, just letting you know it was a woman. Now, that's a problem. Why in the world? That's a messed up story. See, what you have to understand about culture and writing stories, if the story was made up, a woman would not have been the first to encounter the resurrected Savior. Because it would actually devalue the story. But it actually, in historical context, it actually validates the story because they told the truth. They left nothing out. They said, look, this is who Jesus appeared to first. I know a lot of you, you have a hard time with that. But this is, I know society has a hard time with it. But this is who experienced the encounter, encountered the risen Savior first was a woman. Wow. But the second thing we see in the, the second personality is we see Peter, the denier. And this is, this is what Paul writes. We see this denier, this person that denied Christ three times and went into hiding and abandoned Jesus. It doesn't make sense for this denier to get up on the day of Pentecost and preach. Now, can I tell you something? Peter did not get up and preach a self-help message. Unfortunately, that's what the church has become. We capitalize on self-help messages. Did you know that the gospel was about the resurrected Jesus? Do you know what Peter preached? Peter preached the resurrected Jesus. The very proof that a denier, a denier, someone that denied Jesus and ran away and abandoned Christ and was in hiding, got up on a day of Pentecost and preached the resurrected Savior and saw 3,000 people get saved. Friends, that's a testimony. What happened to Peter? I'm convinced Peter encountered a resurrected resurrected Lord. How about this one, the doubter? There's this man named Thomas. And Thomas, out of all the disciples, he heard that Jesus was resurrected. He's like, Jesus, there's no way. And this is what Thomas said, unless I can put my finger in his wounds, I will not believe. Now, how do you take a man like that, a doubter, a staunch doubter, and all of a sudden he became one of the foremost preachers of the gospel of Jesus? So much so that he actually died preaching the resurrection of Jesus. He was killed with spears. Now, come on, friends. If, if it was all a hoax, if the disciples stole the body of Jesus, don't you think that the first time when they threatened to hang Peter upside down, he'd be like, okay, okay, I admit it was a hoax. We stole the body of Jesus. When they're about to kill Thomas, doubting Thomas with a spear, he'd be like, listen, listen, listen. Um, I, I quit. I yield. It was all a hoax. We stole the body of Jesus. There had to be more to the story to have a denier and a doubter preach the resurrection of Jesus, even to the point of death. How about this one, the 500? Paul writes that there were over 500 people that had encountered the resurrected Savior. Even at one time. Now, friends, there's a big difference between hysteria, <laughs> misguided belief, and also mass hallucination. 500 people seeing the same thing, having the same interaction. Now, first of all, if you do a study on hallucinations, most hallucinations don't talk like that. They don't preach to you. But for all 500 people that encounter Jesus to all say the same thing and have the same experiences, friend, it goes beyond hallucination. 
And it goes beyond because there's a lot of people that have misguided beliefs and they'll die for misguided beliefs. But friends, no one's gonna die for a hoax. I mean, can you imagine Stephen, who is the very first martyr, Stephen, who was the first martyr, the moment he's about to get stoned, don't you think that if it was a hoax, beyond just a misguided belief, it was a hoax, and they could just pull up the body of Jesus that they stole from a grave, he starts getting stoned. He's like, okay, okay, hold on, hold on. I don't like this very much. You're right. It's all a hoax. We stole the body of Jesus. No. Why? Because we see people that encountered the resurrected Lord. Can we go a step deeper? Are you guys still with me? I, I actually believe this is probably the greatest proof of Jesus' resurrection. Is there was a man named James. In James chapter 1, this is profound to me. James chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses a profound word, which is servant. Now, we have a problem here because James was actually the son of Mary and Joseph the brother of Jesus. Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, was also the brother of Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting? I want you to think about this story, the story of James. Here's a man that at one time in his life, he was a skeptic of Jesus. There's this moment where Jesus is preaching, and all of a sudden, his disciples come and say, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you because they had a problem with Jesus' ministry. Jesus, listen, you need to simmer down now. You're giving the, our family a bad name. We got problems here. There's all these issues surrounding what's going on. And Jesus, we need to talk about this because at that current moment, James and his brothers, Jesus' brothers did not, they were skeptics of Jesus' message. So much so that even on the cross, now think about this. How many of you, even if your brother was a jerk face, if he was on his deathbed, you wouldn't be there. And here's Jesus on the cross. His mother's there. He had one disciple. There was only one disciple, John the Beloved, that was at the feet of Jesus at the cross. Everybody else had abandoned him. One and we know that Jesus' brothers weren't at the cross. You know how we know that is because even on the cross, this wonderful, compassionate Savior saw his mother, not surrounded by brothers, saw his mother and was concerned for her well-being and looked at John and said, John, here is your mother. Mother, here is your son. And actually handed the responsibility of Mary, taking care of Mary, over to John, the only, the lone disciple at the cross. Do you know what that tells me? None of Jesus' brothers were at the cross. So how is it now, think about this, that up to his death, James was a skeptic of Jesus. But now, here, becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Think about that for a moment. What happened? Friends, I, I petition to you. I believe that James encountered a resurrected Savior. 
the only possible way, the only possible explanation that you could take a skeptic like James, a skeptic like Jude, the brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, and now they became Jesus followers and pastors. The only explanation is a resurrected Savior. But what's so incredible about this too is it's the last one, and to me it's the persecutor. So we have the denier, we have the doubter, we have the 500, we have, we have the skeptic, but we also have the persecutor. And this one, this one doesn't make a lot of sense to me because there's this man named Saul and his whole goal, his whole aim in life was to persecute Christians, to kill Christians because they were disrupting what was supposed to be happening. They were contrary to the gospel that, or to the word that the Pharisees were preaching. They were causing problems and issues. And so Saul felt like he was justified. He said, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go get these rebellious guys. I'm gonna go stop this weirdness. I'm gonna go kill Christians. And he was commissioned to go and persecute and kill Christians. He wasn't just a misguided soul. You gotta understand something. He saw it as a privilege and an honor to kill Christians. But yet on his road, on the road to go kill Christians, we see something so profound that Paul has an encounter with Jesus. And this Christian killer, this persecutor, now becomes one of the greatest advocates for Jesus known to man. Friends, can I tell you the greatest? Come on, you can give it up for Jesus. The greatest, the greatest proof that we see isn't just the evidence of Christ's resurrection, the, the scientific evidence, but we see it through the proof of the people that were touched, that the denier became a preacher, that the doubter became a martyr, that the 500 testified of the resurrection of Christ, that the skeptic became the pastor. <laughs> And the persecutor became an apostle. How does that work? Somehow they encountered the resurrected Savior, friends. But you know to me, what's so profound about this, even beyond the proof of those who encountered Jesus, there's even a greater proof. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Can you all turn with me there? Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. This is the greatest proof that we can receive today. You know, the devil wants to do everything he can, and this is the reason I'm preaching this message to you this morning, is the devil, the Bible says the devil comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. The devil wants to convince you that God's not real, that what Christ did on the cross is not valid to your life, it's not relevant, that the gospel the resurrection of Jesus is nothing but a hoax. That's what the devil wants to do is convince you of that because if he can convince you of that, then what he can do is he can diminish your faith. But you see, I truly believe this, that when we can understand what Christ did for us and we can have the proof within our life, within our understanding and our knowing and be convinced that Christ is not just the Savior, that he paid the price on the cross, but he is also the resurrected Lord, that he has power over death, hell, and the grave. Can I tell you what that does? It, 
let me tell you what that does for us. It gives us faith to believe to live the, the life which Christ purchased for us. It gives you the faith to live the life bigger than you think you can, greater than you think you can. It's to say, I know that Jesus died on a cross for me, that not only am I saved, but I have power to overcome, that he's made me victorious. That's the power of the resurrection. And I want you to hear this, Colossians chapter 1, 27. Oh, I love this passage. Colossians 1, 27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory of glory, the greatest, friends, let me tell you something, the greatest evidence that we have, the greatest proof that we have is before me this morning. Every single one of you, I want you to look at that person next to you. They are the greatest proof of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the only explanation. Can I tell you that is the only explanation of taking a man that was slung out on drugs, drinking from a puddle in the streets of New York, and that God could save him and raise him up to be a great pastor. It is only, now, now listen, because I've talked with you, I've sat with people. I've sat with people and had conversations. Pastor, I tried this and I tried that. And I went to that class and I went to that AA thing and I, I went all over. I went all these, these rehab things and, and Pastor, nothing worked. And then I encountered Jesus and my life was never the same. You are the proof of the reality of the resurrection of Christ. Christ in you the hope of glory. That's why the Bible says that he has placed eternity in our hearts. Do you know how profound that is? Do you know how amazing that is to know that he's doing a work in me? Now, I'm not perfect yet, but I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I am that I am by the grace of God. He recognized the work of the grace of God in our life. Friends, his grace is the evidence of his resurrection, that there's a work that he's doing in every one of us. Our desires have changed. I mean, there's no other explanation. I think about it. The only explanation is a risen Savior. The only explanation for a denier to become a preacher is the resurrection. For a persecutor to become an apostle is the resurrection. For a sinner, for a sinner to be saved is the resurrection. And I believe that in this place this morning, this Resurrection Sunday, the greatest thing that can happen is for us to receive the free gift, to really see the fulfillment of that passage in Colossians, Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know, we've been given a promise through the word of God that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. See, friends, it's not just a believing that Christ died. That's wonderful. But it's a being convinced that he has power over death, hell, and the grave. That he has changed our eternal destiny. That no longer are we condemned to die in hell and be in hell for all eternity, but we 
have Jesus as our Savior. And we are convinced that we have heaven as our home for all eternity. The greatest proof. Right here and right now, you can receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, I've, I know we live in a very dark world. But you're a light. One of the most amazing aspects of our life is that we can shine Christ in this world. Because he's in us. And the Bible says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And I know some of you are suffering through issues right now. Some of you are battling. You say, Pastor, how in the world could Jesus truly forgive me? You know, last week, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's one of my favorite messages that I've ever preached because you get the revelation of the power of the cross is that Christ paid the full extent of our legal indebtedness. Why the cross? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Because he didn't die for the best of the best. He died for the worst of the worst. He died the death of a murderer, of a thief, of a rebel. And so that murderers and thieves and rebels and the broken and the hurting and the lost can be saved, can receive Jesus Christ. He paid the full extent of our legal indebtedness so that we can all be saved. And he offers that to you this morning. And I don't know a better thing to do right now than just to worship him. Because he's so incredible and he's so amazing. Can we lift our voices all over this house? Can we just thank Jesus for all that he's done and worship him? Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And for more great content, go to kcoahu.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.